So I uh, started um, watching The Lord of the Rings with my girls yesterday. If you're on social media and you're my friend, then you'll have probably uh, heard about that. And uh, it was quite the moment. We only made it through halfway through the move, the 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 first movie, um, but uh, we we will be watching the rest. And Lord of the Rings has uh, has been famous as well as being an excellent story, an excellent book. It's also been uh, famous for creating a universe of memes. And one of the most famous memes that has come out of the Lord of the Rings is this: Mr. Boromir saying, "One does or." Oh, one does not simply walk into Mordor, which kind of sounds like my Jack Sparrow impersonation the other week. But here are some of the memes which have sprung from that. One does not simply eat the suggested serving size. Or one does not simply not sing along to Bon Jovi. One does not simply watch one video on YouTube. One does not simply leave a Marvel movie before the post-credit scenes. And one does not simply let it go. So, uh, my name's Dan, and uh, here at this church, Jesus is front and center. He's what we are all about. And we, and we know a secret that life is about him and no one else, and that nothing else really matters except him. And that life is great, or life, life functions the best when we're knowing him, when we're growing him, and when we're showing him to others. And life is never worse than when we forget that and start living as though it's all about knowing me, as though it's all about my personal growth, and it's about showing myself to others. That really is where life starts to fail. And one of the biggest hurdles to living a Jesus-centered life is anger. Because anger at its base is about me. Something offends me. Something sets me off. Someone rubs me the wrong way. But the Jesus way is the way of leaving myself on the sidelines and living for Jesus. And so in a very real way, the angry life and the Jesus life are like oil and water, or like ice cream and steak sauce, or Sens fans and Maple Leaf fans. You know, they don't mix very well. And so here this morning, we, we are going to look at anger, specifically how to get wholly ang- angry, holy W-H-O-L-L-Y, how to get holy angry with unholy anger, how to get holy angry with uh, unholy anger. Let's say that all together. Getting holy angry with unholy anger. So first, we have to, have to discover what is anger. Well, anger is an emotion that tells us when something may be wrong. For example, we we may feel angry when something is beyond our control or feels unfair. Uh, We when we can't reach a goal, or when someone is hurt or threatened, we can also feel angry when we're under too much stress. Sometimes we feel angry for no good reason. Now, these words, which which I just said to you, are from the Canadian Mental Health Association. And I wonder, as you were listening to it, if any of it resonates with you. Have you ever felt any of those things and felt anger because of it? Now, I'd like you to 
Try to picture in your mind a city without any walls. No, no defenses. Now I'd like to try. Now I'd like you to picture a nation with no air force, with no standing army, with no nuclear power. What about a village that's at the bottom of a rumbling, fiery volcano? All of these situations that those citizens are totally powerless. Like a city that is broken into and without walls is a man who has no control over his spirit. Proverbs 25 verse 28. Like a city that is broken into and without walls is a man who has no control over his spirit. And anger is one of those growth areas in my life. Years ago, when I was a youth pastor here, you know, one of, the, one of the bad things about working over many years in the same church is you can't say vaguely, well, in another church that I used to work in, this is it. So, uh, so years ago, while I was uh, a, a, a youth pastor here at, here at Cornerstone, I lost my temper. Now, it's not the only time, but it was an impressive time. And, you know, the details aren't important. <laughs> you can ask me about it later. It's a, it is a story that I regularly tell. But I did learn a very important lesson on that day. That if you shout expletives in the church building, <laughs> God does not necessarily strike you down with a lightning bolt. At least that's not what happened on that occasion. And I'm really grateful for that. But, you know, much as we might laugh, I'm, I, it's a memory that I'm not, I'm not proud of. One little ounce. Because I'd allowed myself to get into a state where I was seeing red and I was shouting things in church, not on a Sunday morning, not from the pulpit. You'd have remembered that Sunday. But I was shouting things in church that should never be shouted, least of all by the pastor. Things that I would imagine would cause lightning bolts to strike someone if that happened. It was horrendous. And so this, this, uh, so this picture of the simmering volcano is real. This, this is a sleeping lion that I don't want to wake up. And the Lord is working on me in this area. Thanks be to him. So maybe you know someone who needs, needs to grow in this area. Maybe that person is actually you. And I think that anger affects us all. For some of us, it's a huge issue. It's the size of a mountain. For, other of us, for others of us, it's something that we manage to manage. For, for some of us, our anger is explosive, like, you know, it just showers everywhere. It's a, it's a stratovolcano, like Mount St. Helens or Mount Fuji, just waiting to blow its top. And then for other, others of us, anger kind of seeps out quietly, more like a shield volcano like, like uh, the islands in Hawaii. It's quiet and fluid, and maybe even no one even knows about it except us. We never explode, but still that red-hot magma of resentment and anger is boiling away inside of us. 
Like a city that is broken into and without walls is a man or a woman who has no control over his or her spirit. In the book of Ephesians chapter 4 verse 30, it says, Don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You were sealed by him for, for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting, and slander be removed from you along with all malice and be kind and compassionate to one another. Now for the past three weeks, we've been orbiting the book of Proverbs, looking at wisdom, looking at foolishness, but now we're actually landing on the surface. Now we're, we're actually taking a much closer look. And it's easy when we're talking about wisdom to kind of remain in the safe zone, to, you know, to leave it really general, to not move into the specifics. But, but why the book of Proverbs is so amazing is because it's so specific. It gets re really down and dirty with the things that we'd rather not mention, things that we would miss if we stay up at the orbit level. And so... Through the, through the book of Proverbs, the Lord gets in, inside your nice little comfortable personal bubble and he starts to poke you in the chest. Because it's as if he wants you to know how much of a rotten sinner you are. Because it's only then that you can know the great and amazing rescue of Christ. So he wants all of these things to be surfaced. And so we're moving from right up there in the orbit to right on the planet's surface, and we've landed on the continent of anger, of rage. And so let's get out. Let's have a look around and see what we see. Let's read some proverbs on anger. First one. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Proverbs 5 verse 1. Amen. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. A quick-tempered person does foolish things. And the one who devises evil schemes is hated. Is that true? Mostly, yep. A hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but the one who is patient calms a quarrel. Proverbs 15, verse 18. Now, I wonder which you are. Are you the hot-tempered person, or are you patient? A person's own folly leads to their ruin, yet their heart rages against the Lord. Listen to that. A person's own folly leads to their own ruin, yet their heart rages against who themselves? No, the Lord. Proverbs 19, verse 3. There are so many people who consider themselves agnostics until they screw up, and then they blame God. When, when things are going well, God might or might not exist, I'm not really sure, or maybe I, I, I really believe that he doesn't exist, but when things go bad, well, of course, it's all his fault, right? A hot-tempered person must pay the penalty. Rescue them, and you will have to do it again. Proverbs 19, verse 19. This is so true, right? This is so practical. Real wisdom is needed to know how to engage a consistently angry person, particularly someone we, we love, because at some point we move from helping them to 
unhealthily being involved in their lives. You know, we aren't helping anymore. We are enabling them. And so if you rescue this hot-tempered person, then you will have to do it again. Sometimes they have to pay the price. That's what Proverbs 19.19 tells us. Do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one easily angered, or you may learn their ways and get yourself ensnared. Proverbs 22, 24 through 25. An angry person, an angry spirit is like hep C. It's infectious. And so choose your friends very well. Because it's more likely that their angry influence will rub off on you than your good influence will rub off on them. Maybe this is why, the, why we see children who are raised in a home where anger is normalized becoming angry themselves. And the cycle has to stop somewhere, right? An angry person stirs up conflict and a hot-tempered person uh, commits many sins. Proverbs 29, verse 22. And what this shows us here is that anger, it's a pack animal. Anger runs with other sins. Anger is never on its own. And here it says that, that, uh, that anger is a sin. It wasn't just a bad day. It wasn't just me screwing up again. It wasn't just me losing control. No, we, we have to call anger what it is, which is a sin. Know your enemy. Call it. Name it what it is. If you call it a weakness, then you end up feeling sorry for yourself. But if you call it a sin, then you know that it has to be rooted out. It has to be dealt with. It, it has to be sorted out. So know your enemy. Name your enemy. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit is better than he who takes a city. Proverbs 16, verse 32. What an amazing verse. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. And so today we might say this. The real man is not the one who can hunt moose with a bow and arrow. The real man is not the one who can play hockey or hit a ball out of the park or ride his skidoo really fast. The real man is the one who controls himself. The real woman is the one who controls herself. And here and there in, in, in Proverbs 16.32 and also in Galatians 5, we are told that the way to measure how mature we are is not how much you know, but the way to measure how mature you are in Christ is, is by reining yourself in. Or even more wonderful, by letting God rein you in, letting him do his work. Now, I know we often think of anger as a male sin, right? But it's actually pretty equal, equal opportunity which is what we like to hear in, in the world today. Women wrestle with the anger monster, just like men wrestle. So don't think of this as a Father's Day slap in the face, you know, for the man. I came here to church and now, you know, you're beating us down um, because this wasn't planned, you know. It was 
Months ago, I had this all sorted out. So this isn't a Father's Day message. And we all have to deal with anger, whether it's the explosive Mount Fuji anger or the simmering um, anger of the, of the Hawaiian Islands. But not all anger is bad. Not all anger is bad. Let's say that together. Not all anger is bad. Listen to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. In your anger, do not sin. In your anger, do not sin. Which means you can be angry and not sin. How? How can you be angry and not sin? Well, let's read on in Ephesians chapter 4. It says, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. And so what sinless anger means is resolving it. It means refusing to allow Satan to manipulate you into doing what he wants. And then the next verse talks about how, how the sinner must no longer sin and instead must do something useful to help others. So that's what sinless anger looks like. So if you can imagine sin like um, maybe digging a hole... So if, if that's sin, you have this hole, which, is, which represents the sin, then if you no longer dig a hole, that's no longer sin, right? It's a good thing. But even more wonderful is instead of only not, instead of only stopping yourself from making that hole even larger. Wouldn't it be even more amazing if you filled in that hole and then you used that space and you actually built something worthwhile and useful on that space? That, that, that the energy that you spent on anger is now being redirected into something good. And that anger actually fades away as you refuse to feed it, as you refuse to fuel it. And instead, you choose to serve others. And we'll look at more at that in a moment. And so what I want you to hear this morning is that God does not want you walking around with your head hanging low thinking, I know what happened this week, yesterday, you know, this morning. Okay, we all have those memories. We all do. But he doesn't want us walking around with our heads hanging low, feeling like we've forever failed because of our anger. Sure, he wants us to repent. But then he wants to redirect our anger in a different way so that we're no longer angry with ourselves or with life or with others or with God, but instead he wants us to be angry with anger. God wants us to be angry about the way that anger has gripped our lives. He, he, he wants us to get livid and mad at the way that anger has ruined lives around us, maybe even our own lives. He wants this righteous anger, this anger from God himself to rise up in us and to fight against the way that Satan has used sinful anger to enslave us. You understand that? Yeah? He wants us to become wholly angry with unholy anger. Let me say that again. He wants us to become wholly, wholly angry with unholy anger. And it might be worth you writing that down. He wants us to wage war against anger. 
Because Satan has taken God's gift, which is our sense, sense of justice, right? Sense of justice is from God himself. And yet, God, and yet Satan has taken that sense of justice. And what he's done is that he's weaponized it against us. That's what's happened. Jesus has come to bring life and life to the full, John 10.10. 10. But Satan steals and kills and destroys. And one of his favorite ways to steal and kill and destroy in our society, in our families, in our homes, in our lives, is through unholy anger. And so the million dollar question is, how do we respond when we feel angry against another person? How do we, how do we deal with that? We will look at three options from scripture. There are two which are good and one which is not helpful at all, but that seems to be the one that we always do. Okay, so let's look at them. Option one, and if you're a note writer, write these down. Option one, when responding to someone who makes you angry is, is to face it. Face it. Write that down, face it. And the goal here in facing it is to win them back. Okay, and the verse that most clearly points this out is Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 through 17, which says this. If another believer sins against you, step one, go privately and point out their offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, then you have won that, won that person back. But if you are unsuccessful, okay, if that fails, step two, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you may, be, you may say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If that person still refuses to listen, step three comes into place, take your case to the church. Then, if he or she won't accept the, um, the church's decision, step four, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector, which means treat them as someone who still needs Jesus and start sharing the message of the gospel with them. That's Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 through 17. But we don't really do that, do we? I mean, how many times have I as a pastor had someone come up to me and say, things between me and so-and-so aren't that great, and I've tried to resolve it one-on-one. Then I ask the third party, you know, to join me, um, and still nothing. So I'd now like you and the board to maybe get involved so that we can have this resolved. How many times has that happened to me? As far as I can remember, a big fat zero. But Matthew chapter 18, 15 through 17 is recorded in the Bible specifically because it's the best way for you to deal with anger. Face it in stages, in steps. Resolve it in a biblical way. But that's not the, the only option. Okay, that's face it. But the other option is to let it go. Really forget it. Option one was to face it with the goal of winning your adversary back. Option two is to let it go. And the goal here is to give God room for him to work. Okay, you're making space for almighty God to work. Write that down. Option two, let it go. Goal is to give God room to work. And here are some verses that, that, uh, that, that show this response. Fools show their annoyance at once, but the prudent overlook an insult. Proverbs 12 verse 16. Good sense makes one slow to anger and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Proverbs 19 verse 11. So what we're finding out here is that overlooking an offense isn't a sign of weakness. 
It is, it is, it is wonderful. It is, it is, it is glorious. Jesus' glory starts shining through you when you let it go. Now we, now we can't look, look here at all of the causes of anger. And maybe you're there thinking, but you don't know what's happened to me, Dan. And if you did, then you wouldn't lay out this simplistic nonsense from the Bible. And maybe you're right. And so I'd love to have a conversation with you. You know, I'd love to hear more about it, you know, and to walk with you through it. But I also think that these verses are in the Bible for a reason. And I also know that somehow we always think that we're the exception, that it doesn't really apply to us. Romans 12, 16 through 19 says this, don't think you know it all. Verse 17, never pay back evil with, with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see that you are honorable. Verse 18, do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that Leave, leave revenge up to the righteous anger of God himself. For the scriptures say, this is God speaking, I will take revenge. It is me who will pay them back. That's what the Lord says. So once again, trust the word of God. Because any anger that you feel is filtered through your limited, sinful human viewpoint, right? Right? So I'd encourage you to subcontract your revenge to the Lord himself, to outsource your vengeance to him. Because God's vengeance, if you want to call it that, is absolutely pure. God's revenge, if you want to call it that, is without sin. It is not spoilt by pride or selfishness. It is not vindictive or wanting retribution that God's vengeance wants the restoration of that individual. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. How not like us is that? Psalm 145 verse 8. So letting it go isn't a sign of weakness. Letting it go is a sign that you trust the God of 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10, who will give everyone what they actually deserve. You aren't able to do that. He is. But here's, here's the thing. If you choose option two, which is to let it go, then you have to let it go. If this is the route that you choose, then you forfeit any right to talk about your adversary with anyone afterwards at all. All conversation is finished. It's water under the bridge. It's now in God's hands. It's been subcontracted out. It's not on your table. It's not on your list of things that you have to do anymore. Because when you keep talking about that person that you've handed over to God and say, well, it, he's, he or she is yours, what you're saying to God is, you know that thing that I kind of handed you a few weeks ago for you to deal with? Well, I'd kind of like it back, please. Don't. So option one is to face it in a godly way. Option two is, is to let it go in a godly way. Option three, however, is the one that we often choose, and it's called making a mess of it. And we make a big mess of things when we choose not to face it, but neither do we let it go either. 
Instead, we complain and we gripe to our friends. We talk about it with everyone ex- except the person concerned. You know, we get, onto, uh, we get onto social media and misuse it. What we're doing is we're bearing false witness against our neighbor, and we know what the Bible says about that. When we make a huge mess. What might have been sorted out in a godly way with a, with a private conversation is now out there. And once it's out there, we all know how hard it is to reel it in. We need to get wholly angry with unholy anger. We need to know that our adversary is Satan who weaponizes our anger against us. He he knows how to play us. He knows how to rob us of full life in Christ. But shall I tell you how we can fight unholy anger the best? Would you like to know that? Would that be useful information? Well, if you're writing down, write these down. Romans 12, 20 and Matthew 5, 44. Romans 12:20 and Matthew 5:44 we have to fight fire with fire we we have to fight really dirty we have to be sneaky in how we we fight because after God tells us to outsource revenge to him in uh, in 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 Romans 12:19 so after he says outsource revenge to me he then says this instead if your enemies are hungry feed them. If they are thirsty, you should give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their head. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by what? By doing good. And then Matthew 5, 44 says this, but I, but, but, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be sons and daughters of your Father in heaven. So both Romans 12 and Matthew 5, it's not an option, right? It's a rule, you know, it's, 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 not, a, it's not a maybe if you feel like it. It's clear that how we get wholly angry with unholy anger is by keeping calm and blessing your enemy. This is our chance to to actually conquer evil. Not the person, but Satan's forces who are manipulating them and using them. And also, Maybe you'd like to know this, that those forces that are manipulating them and using them, they're also manipulating you and using you. And so we, we do have an enemy. We do ha- have an adversary, and his name is Satan. As we read in Ephesians 6, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So we do have an enemy, but it's not who you think it is. And that person who you think is your enemy, is your adversary, well, God is working in their lives as well in the same way as he's working in in yours. So let's not get tired of doing what is good because just at the right time, we will reap a harvest of, uh, of blessing if we don't give up.
Galatians 6, 7 through 9. So, so responding to anger and the situations that create anger is, uh, in a Christ-like way is not easy. But it is clear. We can either face it in a biblical way or we can let it go in a biblical way. These are two great options. And what lies, what, um, what makes one or two really possible in your life and in my life is learning to love your enemy. Learning how to pray for them. Learning how to bless them. Because as we do that, we're robbing Satan of the power that he's had over us and we're actually turning it against them just like Jesus did on the cross. That's what happened then. And so you can trust in the God who is good, who sees everything, who sees you, who knows you, who loves you, and who is obsessing right now. God is obsessing right now over how he can help you mature in your walk with him. And the funny thing is that as he's obsessing over that with you, he's also obsessing over that with your enemy. So we should consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, when we face trials of many kinds. Because we know that the testing of our faith, it creates what? It creates perseverance. And let that finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. James chapter 1, verse 2. So trust God's process. Trust what's written in his word. Don't trust these feelings of anger and vengeance that you have. Instead, channel those feelings of anger and start getting angry with unholy anger. By how? By loving your enemy with the love of Jesus. Look at the cross. Realize what, what he did and that what you owe God outweighs anything that anyone here on earth owes you by a factor of infinity. What you owe God outweighs anything that someone on earth owes you by a factor of infinity. You know, Jesus tells us that we are to forgive each other 490 times in Matthew 18. Okay, he says 490 times, not seven times, but 490 times. And in verse 35 of Matthew 18, Jesus actually tells us that God's, God's uh, forgiveness of us is, is linked with how we treat others. So what that means, or what that must mean, is that there will be people when this world is done, when we're, when, when, when we're there in front of God's judgment throne, who are not allowed into God's presence because they chose to harbor anger and they didn't let it go. They did not know how to forgive or, or they chose not to. And so my challenge for you this week is this. What is one thing that you can do for someone that you are angry with? And I'm, and I'm not talking about that one thing that you're maybe thinking in your mind. I'm thinking about something good. You know, how can you really bless them? And, you know, the nice thing is, is that they don't have to know that it's you. You can do it without signing your name. But let the love of Jesus flow through you into the life of that individual. Because at that moment... 
a change will start in your life. Love will start replacing loathing and hope will start replacing hate. So when we're dealing with anger, we can face it or we can let it go. But either way, choose a life that outsources vengeance. Let let the Lord look after it. Choose a life that frees you up to be wholly angry with unholy anger by loving your, your enemies. Because as we know, it messes with their heads and it may actually result in them meeting Jesus.